Thank you, worship team. Good morning again. Children, you're dismissed to your classes. As we prepare ourselves to study the Word of God this morning, would you please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, our scripture reference this morning is going to be Philippians 3 verses 1 through 7. That's located on page number 1163 in the church Bibles, if you're following along in one of those. And today we're going to be beginning the third chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter of joy to the church in Philippi. Now, on the uh, bulletins and on the sermon slide, as I'm sure you can see, the sermon this morning is entitled, Joy in Losing Legalism. And I should probably, I should probably warn all of our, our church folks here that today this one might make you feel a little uncomfortable. Um, every now and again, it seems like the Word of God comes across pretty strong, and it seems like preachers come to the pulpit with the sword of God's Word extra sharp, and just want to let you know this might be one of those Sundays. And to be honest, that's really appropriate, because in the Scriptures, in God's Word, both the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ reserved some of their harshest words for the legalists. In fact, some of the most condemning and accusatory words in all of the Bible are directed towards those who were entrenched with legalistic rules. Now, these were rules not from God's Word, but rules added to God's Word by man. That's what legalism is. Replacing God's grace with the law and substituting God's revealed Word with man-made rules. And when that happens, when the rules of men begin to supersede what's revealed in Scripture from God's Word, that's a problem. That's legalism. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And we're going to talk, really, about the joy in losing legalism. I remember when I was a, when I was a younger man, uh, when I was at the Bible College, a, a student at the Moody Bible Institute, I loved going to the Moody Bible Institute. I loved the school. I loved the people. I loved my friends. I loved the students. I loved the teachers. But I'll be totally honest, there was one thing that I really struggled with when I was there. There was one thing that I just, I had a hard time with uh, from the beginning and to the end. And that one thing was the student life guide. You see, the student life guide was the rule book that all of the students contractually had to sign in order to attend school there. And I'm saying this morning, I understand that every school needs rules, and every school needs order, and every school needs discipline. But I'm telling you, there are some of the things in that rule book that I just, I could not for the life of me figure out how they got there. It just, it it just, I struggled with it. To me, it just seemed like straight legalism to me. Uh, there were rules, there were rules there, and I love the school, but there are rules there like, rules like men must be clean shaven. Men are not permitted to have long hair. Men must wear a dress shirt to all morning classes. Men must wear formal dress pants to breakfast and to lunch. Said dress pants cannot have patch pockets or cargo pockets. Now, you may wear jeans to dinner, but shorts are never permitted to breakfast 
lunch, or dinner. Students are not permitted to go to the theater, not permitted to watch movies, not permitted to have a television, not permitted to leave campus for the night without prior written permission, and not permitted to dance. And there I was. I was a 19-year-old kid. <laughs> Just like, I, and I remember I would be standing in line to get into the cafeteria, and they would not let me eat because I had the wrong kind of pockets on my dress pants. I was like, seriously? You're not going to let me eat because I have the wrong pockets on my formal wear dress pants? I remember one time I, and, and I don't, I don't want to paint the wrong picture, but I remember uh, I had a resident supervisor tell me that if I didn't cut my hair by the next day, he was going to shave my head. That's what he told me. And I thought to myself, I was like, how, how, is, how is this Christian? Like, how do we get to this? Now, to the school's credit, I have to say that uh, they got rid of a lot of those rules uh, after I left. Eric didn't have it nearly as bad as I did. I'll tell you, you want to hear about rules, ask Marsha how it was when she was there. I loved, I loved the school. But I'll tell you what, some of, those, some of the rules, that was not a joy. That was not a joy. And, and I remember I was, when I graduated from college, the first thing I did is I grew my hair out and I became a youth pastor. You remember some of that. But I remember after I graduated, after I graduated, I was so glad. I was so joy-filled to be, a part, like to be done with some of those rules. I remember, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I remember <laughs> I took the student life guide, I took the rule book, and I burned it. Like, you know how you have like mortgage burning ceremonies? I actually took the rule book and I literally lit it on fire. And I remember I had one of my buddies take a picture of me lighting it on fire. And I took that picture and I framed it and I put a caption underneath it. And the caption was Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery because, because I was so happy to finally be done with some of those things that I thought was legalism. This morning, Philippians 3 verses 1 through 7 is all about the joy that comes when you find Christ and you lose the legalism. It's about the all-sufficiency of Christ and God's grace and faith and about the absolute folly of pursuing righteousness on your own from the law and from legalism. Philippians 3, 1-7 is about how the only good thing we have going for us is Christ. And I'll tell you, if that doesn't give you some joy in your hearts, I I don't know if you can get there. So, would you please stand with me? I'd invite you to stand as, as I read Philippians 3, verses 1 through 7, and then I'd ask you to remain standing afterwards for, for a word of prayer. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord! It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out! For those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, We thank You that Your grace is enough. We thank You, Lord, this morning that Christ is all-sufficient. That You are a God of mercy. That You are a God of love. And what we need above anything else is Your Son. We need Your Son, Jesus Christ. And that's all we need in order to be able to come before You, Lord, with confidence to enter into your holy presence, and that is the shed blood of your one and only Son. Father, this morning I pray that we would take joy in Christ and only in that. And Lord, that you would help us to recognize the dangers of anything human that we would try to add on to your word and add on to your Son. We love you, Lord. We seek to worship you today. Help me, Lord, to uh, remove myself. Lord, may May you become greater, may I become less. And Lord, we ask that we just glorify you this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. This morning, uh, we're just going to dive right into the Scriptures. So, uh, take your Bibles. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. As I said before, Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And I love how he starts. He starts chapter 3 by saying, finally. Which I think is kind of funny because he is nowhere near being done. This is chapter 3, right? So, so just let that be a lesson to you. When a preacher says, as I begin to close, just know they are nowhere near being done. Uh, actually, actually, that word finally would be better translated as furthermore or so then. But Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to say these same things to you again. You see, a good teacher normally emphasizes repetition. We know that joy is the theme. Joy is what Paul is getting at here. And Paul conveys that writing again and again and again about joy is of no trouble. It should never be tedious. It should never wear out. I kind of imagine Paul here saying kind of like, uh, all right, people, I just want you to remember two things. Okay? Remember, number one, rejoice in the Lord. Number two, don't forget to rejoice in the Lord. Okay? You should never get tired of rejoicing in the Lord. And Paul says that this joy in the Lord, joy that can only come from Christ, this joy is a safeguard for you. Safeguard. That is, a, that is an interesting word. I, I've got in, in your bulletin notes, safeguard is from the Greek word, asphales. 
And it's derived from two words, ah, meaning without, and follow, meaning to throw down, to trip up, or to make someone fall. So safeguard here literally means that which cannot be thrown down, that which cannot be tripped up. So when you know Christ as Lord and as Savior, the joy of that salvation is safe. It's secure. It's an anchor for your soul. And when you have that joy, you can even, as James says in chapter 1, verse 2 of his book, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You can even take joy in trials. Why? Because our joy is from and in Christ, our Savior and our Lord. We can respond to trials differently. And that joy, Paul says, protects us. That joy guards us. And what does it guard us from? Well, let's look at verse 2. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Those are some choice words there. That is one condemning and vilifying statement. All right? This is Scripture. Who is Paul speaking of here? Well, Paul is speaking of a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers. What's a Judaizer? The Judaizers were Jewish teachers who claimed the necessity of Christ and obedience to the Mosaic Law for salvation. So they preached Christ But they added rules too. It was Christ plus the law. Now, these rules, these laws, they they came from the Bible. They came from God's Word, the Old Testament. They were in God's Word. Rules like circumcision. Rules like the Sabbath. Rules like observing the Passover. And they said, in order to be saved, in order to be acceptable to God, you needed Christ and the rules. You needed a Lord and the law. You needed grace. You needed faith and works. And these Judaizers, these false teachers, they were a plague to the Apostle Paul, to the early church, to the gospel, and to the grace of God. Paul says, watch out. That word watch out is is the Greek word blepo, uh, which actually means beware. You might not know this, but in the original Greek, that word appears three times in this one sentence. In fact, a better translation would be watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those men who do evil. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. You know, it's really interesting here that, that, uh, I mean, Paul calls these Jewish legalists dogs, which in case you didn't know, is a very offensive thing to call someone in the Middle East. It's also kind of ironic that Jew, I'm sorry, that uh, Paul would call these Judaizers dogs because it was the Judaizers who commonly referred to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, as dogs. So what Paul is doing is he's actually using their own word against them. He's saying, no, no, you, you are the dogs. 
You are the carriers of disease barking out your false doctrine. Paul says, watch out those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Okay, when Paul says mutilators of the flesh, and and I don't want to get into this too much here. Uh, I don't want to get too descriptive. What he's talking about is circumcision. You see, one of the false teachings of the Judaizers was that Gentile Christians in their maturity after their conversion had to be circumcised in order to be acceptable to God. And so Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. In fact, the original Greek literally reads, beware of the mutilation. Like, beware of the mutilators. Those who were mutilating not just the body, but the gospel and grace as well. Folks, I want you to understand this morning, you absolutely cannot add the law, legalism, rules, and good works to the gospel of grace because as soon as you do, it ceases to be the gospel. Warren Worsby, I love this. Warren Worsby tells this story. I think it illustrates this so well. He told this story where he said, uh, there was a lady in a church who was arguing with her pastor about the matter of faith and works. She said, I think that getting to heaven is like rowing a boat, she said. One oar is faith, the other oar is works. If you use both, you get there. If you use only one, you go around in circles. Well, the, the, the quick-witted pastor said, there's only one thing wrong with your illustration, he said. Nobody's going to heaven in a rowboat, okay? There is only one good work that takes a sinner to heaven, and that is the finished work of Christ on the cross. Paul says in verse 3, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God. When when Paul says, for it is we who are the circumcision, what he's saying is, he's saying, no, no, no. We are the people who are set apart by God. Again, Paul is using the Judaizers' own words against them. He's saying, they say, you are the dogs and they are the circumcision. They are God's set-apart people. No, 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 it is we who are God's people who are set apart by God based solely on the finished work of Christ on the cross and they are the dogs. Paul says it is we who worship by the Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying it is we who by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone have the Holy Spirit of God. He says we put no confidence in the flesh. That's a great statement. Flesh here, uh, flesh here means, it's a reference to circumcision, but it's also meaning the law, legalism, good works, man-made rules. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to being acceptable to God, there is no room for anything that is man-made. There is no confidence in the flesh. This term flesh is, is really important for us to understand. John MacArthur defines flesh as the flesh represents man's fallen, unredeemed humanness. It pictures human ability apart from God. It pictures man's total inability 
to contribute to or gain any credit with a holy and righteous God. This morning I was thinking, um, maybe you are the person who is sitting in the pew and you've, you've heard about Jesus before. You've, you've heard about Jesus. You know the facts about Jesus. But you've never really heard the good news. You've never really heard the gospel. Maybe you've, you've heard about Jesus. You know, you, you know all the stuff, Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, God's one and only Son, no sin, died on the cross, was buried, He rose again. You know all of that. You know about Jesus. You've heard that before. And maybe you've heard about Jesus, and maybe you've also heard the bad news. You know what the bad news is. The bad news is that, yeah, I'm a sinner. You don't have to tell me that. I know where I deserve to go. So maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've heard the bad news. but Maybe you've never really heard the good news. The good news of the Gospel is that salvation Forgiveness of sins, heaven, peace, joy, purpose, everlasting life. The good news is that it's a gift. The good news is that it's a free gift. It's all grace. It's all grace. And you can't buy it and you can't earn it and you can't work towards it and you can't contribute to it and you can't get credit for it. Salvation is is a gift that is graciously given by God. Christ died for you, for your sins, to save you. It's all of Him and none of you. It's all a gift. It's all grace. That's why the Scriptures say, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So concerning salvation... No one can boast. There is no confidence in the flesh. And the real question is, will you receive the gift of God? Will you stop turning away from God and turn to God and receive His grace? You know, this morning, if, if that's you, I just want you to think about that. You can zone out for the rest of the, the sermon. I just want you to reflect on that. I would love to speak with you or set up an appointment Uh, to talk with you later. Paul says in verse 4, and uh, I I love this part. I love this part. Paul says in verse 4, though I myself have reason for such confidence. (laughs) If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I I love this because it's it's like Paul saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I was? You think these Judaizers, these legalists, you think think they were legalistic? Okay, Paul's saying, I was the legalist. I was the Pharisee. Paul's saying, if ever there was a perfect candidate for being confident in legalism, trust me, it would have been me. It's like he's saying, folks, if the flesh counted for anything, wouldn't I have been the perfect candidate to champion that cause? Trust me, he's saying, I've been down that road before. I've gone there. You don't want to go there. But let's go there, he says. (laughs) Let's go there. Let's let's play that game. Let's go there. He starts starts, uh, verse 5. 
And he gives us like the laundry list of all of his accomplishments. He gives us the credentials, the resume, the seven legalistic achievements, three of which he inherited, four of which he earned. And he starts in verse 5 by saying, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He starts by saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no Gentile convert circumcised in maturity. I'm no Ishmaelite circumcised in their 13th year. The original Greek literally reads, with respect to circumcision, an eighth dayer. He's saying, do you get that? He's saying, he's saying, I'm a pure breed. I'm an eighth-dayer, folks. He says, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, Paul's saying, uh, of the people of Israel. Do you get that? He's saying, I'm no Gentile convert, and my parents were no Gentile converts. Israel is my people. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, the only son of Jacob to be born in the promised land. The only tribe not to sell out Judah in the divided kingdom. Benjamin and Judah. The land of Jerusalem. The land of the temple. Benjamin, the only tribe to be called by Moses, the beloved of the Lord. He's saying, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Meaning, I'm no, I'm no watered-down, Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew who still speaks Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew who still follows the Hebrew customs. I'm from the motherland. I speak the mother tongue, people. He's saying, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. He's saying, I was one of the separatists. That's from the Hebrew word persahin, meaning the separate ones, the pious ones. I was one of the elites. I love this. Verse 6, he says, as, as for zeal, as for zeal. And by the way, zeal was one of the most cherished characteristics uh, for the Hebrew people. They looked at people like Elijah, he had zeal. That's what you aspired to. He said, as for zeal, you think these Judaizers are zealous in their legalism? I'll show you zeal. He said, as for zeal, persecuting the church. I didn't proselytize the church. I persecuted the church. I didn't seek to convert Christians. I killed Christians. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when it comes to legalism, I was faultless. I was irreproachable in my legalism. When it came to following the rules, I followed them. I could have wrote the book on following them. Yeah. Paul throws down the gauntlet when it comes to legalism. And then he turns this whole thing on its head because of Christ. He totally flips it. He does a complete and total 180. He turns legalism on, his, on its head and just, just throws it in reverse. Verse 7, he writes, but whatever was to my profit, whatever legalism, whatever laws, I now consider loss. It's all loss for the sake of Christ. James Montgomery Boyce, he writes, the most important word in the entire third chapter of Philippians is the first word there at the start of verse 7. But... Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ literally means on account of Christ. Because of the fact of Christ, all that was profit is just loss. Profit and loss. These, 
These are great words here. Uh, They're actually accounting terms. Prophet, this is in your bulletin notes, is, is the Greek word kurdos. It's a term that means gain or return on investment, advantage, benefit. It's something that you'd kind of put in your assets column. Loss is the opposite of that. That's the Greek word zemia. And it's a term that's translated as damage, disadvantage, loss, or forfeit. So what Paul's saying is, in the accounting books of my life, all those legalistic entries, all of those credentials, my resume, all those things that I once thought of as assets in the profit column, because of Christ, the truth is that they were liabilities. They, they deserve to be in the losses column. He just didn't know it until he met Christ. All the legalism, all the man-made rules, seeking righteousness from the law and from legalism, Paul says, now, that was actually a detriment to knowing God. He says That's, that was actually an impairment to the truth. They were, all those things, it was completely worthless. All those things, it was just a catastrophic, a total loss. You know, I, I, uh, I don't want to steal any of Dave's thunder next week, but uh, in verse 8, Paul goes even further talking about uh, legalism. And I, and I know this isn't my verse, but in verse 8, Paul even goes so far to call legalism rubbish. Okay, that is a very strong word in the original Greek language. In the original language, it literally means manure or dung or excrement. Greek students, they kind of giggle and they, they, they snicker when they see that word because it's a naughty word. Paul saying, that's legalism. As the prophet Isaiah said, all our righteous works Filthy rags. Filthy rags before a, a completely holy and righteous God. I, I want to tell you, folks, um, as I begin to close, <laughs> legalism, uh, legalism is, a, is a very, very uh, dangerous thing. It's a very terrible thing. Legalism, not only is it not good, it's more than just bad. Legalism is a catastrophic loss. It's fatal. It's an oppression. It's a millstone that's tied around your neck that'll drag you straight to the grave. And let me tell you, losing it is pure joy. The freedom of embracing God's grace, the deliverance from receiving the gift of God, the liberation of of salvation through faith in Christ, it is it is glorious. It is, it is glorious. It, it, it is a joy. And it's no trouble for me to say these same things to you again. Rejoice in the Lord. And we need to safeguard that. We need to protect that. And uh, I was thinking by way of application today uh, of, of how this can apply to us. And, and I, I realized, you know, there might be some people here who think, you know, Pastor Nick... Um, Nobody really believes that, or I mean, nobody would really preach, at least here, that salvation is is faith plus works. And and I would agree with that. If if someone preached faith 
plus works on this stage, you need to yank them off of the platform and do it right quick. I mean, so you, you might be thinking, you know, faith plus works, trust me, that, that's not what is taught in most Baptist churches, and trust me, that is not what is taught here. And, and I, would, I would agree with that. We do not teach faith plus works for salvation. That is not biblical. But what I want to say is the dangers of legalism are not merely confined to the doctrines of salvation. And this is what I want to ask you this morning and and for us to think about and to consider. And that is, isn't it true as people of faith today that we are still prone to add our man-made rules to the things that we call Christian? Isn't it true that that we are disposed to imposing our own set of guidelines, our own bylaws to Christian living, Christian churches, Christian communities, Christian schools, Christian families, all those things. And and I just want to say this morning, there's a danger there. And the danger is that our preferences can overshadow the truth. That the rules we impose outshines the grace we profess that we become known as a legalistic people and not a forgiving people. That the man-made rules eclipses grace and that law overshadows the gospel. And I don't want to go there. I don't want that ever to be me. That's dangerous. I want to tell you, folks, I don't ever want to be known for legalism. I don't want that to be my reputation. I don't want that to be my particular brand of Christianity. That's terrible when that happens. It's just absolutely terrible. I, uh, one last story. I, I, I remember when I was a student at the Bible college, um, I, remember, I remember one time my brother came to visit me at the school, and, and he went to the secular school. You know, I went to the to Bible school, and uh, I showed him around the school, and I introduced him to all my friends and to the students, and I introduced him to all the teachers, and you know, really tried to you know, show him around. And, and I remember at the end of the visit, uh, and I, I remember when we were there, he kind of picked up on the fact, I mean, you learn pretty quick. There's some pretty interesting rules you've got to follow there. Uh, and he picked up on that. And I remember at the end of the visit, at the end of the visit, I asked my brother, I was like, you know, so, so what did you think of the school? And, and I remember he said to me, he said, I don't really like it here. And I, and I was I was shocked. I mean, I was I was really surprised. And I, and I, and I said I said, you know, like, like really? Well, well, why not? And I'll I'll never forget what he said. He said, I don't understand why they make you follow all these stupid rules. I mean, everyone that I've met here is like the nicest, uh, most wonderful person that I've ever met. It's not like you guys are going to do anything bad anyway. <laughs> and I'll tell you, like. I had no answer for that. Um, you see, he really liked the people. He liked my friends. He liked the students. He liked the teachers. He just didn't get why someone would load down all of these really nice Christian people with, with extra rules that made no sense. And a place that takes very nice Christian people and loads them down with legalism had no appeal to him whatsoever. 
And I had no answer for that. And I just remember feeling very embarrassed about that because uh, in that situation, the man-made rules outshined grace. And, and that's, that's terrible. Um, folks, legalism is, is something we need to guard ourselves against. Jesus fought against it. Paul fought against it. The church, we're still, we're still facing it 2,000 years later. And my message to the church today is just that of Paul's message, and that is we need to watch out. We need to beware. Because any legalism which could be considered gain is only loss. It's only loss for the sake of Christ. So it's no trouble for me to say these same things to you again. Rejoice in the Lord. We need to safeguard that. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Christ. Lord, we would be so lost without Christ so lost. Father, I pray uh, this morning again that if, if there's someone here who has never really heard the good news, that salvation is a gift. It's your grace. It's through your Son. It's through faith in Him. There's no good works that goes along with that. Lord, I know we need to repent. We need to turn away from our wicked ways. We need to turn to You. We need to turn and receive your grace and your gift. Father, I pray this morning that, that we would be a people whose reputation is known for grace. That we would be a people who is known for Christ's love. That we would never be known for, for legalism or, or just being strict. But Lord, when people look at us, they look at Memorial Baptist Church, they would see the love of Christ the grace of Christ, that we would be a forgiving people. I thank you, Lord, for this, this church. Pray, Lord, that you would keep us committed to your word and that above everything we would stand on what you have to say. Thank you, Lord, for your son. We pray this in Christ's name.